Welcome to a very special edition of Hashing Out the Law. I'm your host, Arash Hashemi. On this episode, I have a very special guest, my colleague and friend, Nina Hojat. Nina is a licensed California and New York attorney. She practices criminal law. She's been quoted in publications such as Ford, Business Insider, Time Money, amongst many other things. She's also uh, taught legal education classes to other lawyers, and uh, she is a big car fan, a race car, fast car. She loves it. And in fact, uh, she's a journalist that has written for car magazines. Uh, hi, Nina. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Now, Nina, could you tell us a little bit about the car magazines you wrote about and, and, and your involvement in that area? Yeah. Um, I don't really, I can't really remember how I became an automotive journalist, but uh, actually, I do remember a, a friend of mine got me into it um, and said that, you know, you should write about these things because you love it. Um, and a good friend of mine actually is the editor and the owner of the Snob magazine, so he gave me some opportunities to write for his magazine. Um, and I've also written for Autoblog, and it's just a passion, and it's really something that helps me be creative. And um, it's just another, I, I think that as an attorney, you have to not only be a lawyer in your life, but you're a person because you represent people. So it just, it's another way I enjoy my life, and I've made it a passion project. Right, and one of the cool perks is you get to test drive these cars, or you get to go out and ride these cars. And uh, I see you uh, posting about them, writing about them. I get very jealous, <laughs> but that's a very cool thing. Now, the reason I, I asked you to be on the podcast, well, different reasons. One of the main reasons is because uh, uh, most of the uh, listeners ha have heard the story where I wanted to start a podcast, but I kept procrastinating, and I and I kept making excuses and. I had uh, uh, drinks with a colleague and she just told me, why don't you just do it? And I, I, I hit me and I did it. Well, Nina is the inspiration behind that. So uh, Nina made it a reality for me by, by pushing me or, or inspiring me. So, so Nina, you wanted to talk about alternative sentencing. Could you tell the, the listeners and in this case the viewers what alternative sentencing is and why people should care about it? Yes. Okay. So basically, it's an alternative to custody time or jail time or prison time, and um, which means that you know somebody that's accused and um, ultimately pleads or is found guilty to a crime, instead of going to jail or prison, they end up doing some other type of um, they have some other type of arrangement, whether it's a treatment program or if it's classes or if it's um, like, you know, home monitoring, there's a variety of things that are available for people to do. And the reason why everybody should care about this is because I think that, you know, especially when it comes to nonviolent crimes, it's a community issue. Um, a lot of times when people commit crimes or um, if they find themselves kind of mixed up in the legal system by making a dumb mistake or a couple of dumb mistakes, um, a lot of times it's because of trauma or some kind of deep-seated issue, whether it's an emotional issue or even a mental health issue. Um, I found that even with like high-functioning people that are executives or <clears throat> athletes or you know people in the entertainment industry, it doesn't matter where you come from. A lot of people have trauma, a lot of people have substance abuse in their life, and a lot of people have mental health issues in their life. And 
I don't know anybody that's not affected by one of these issues. Even if you're not affected directly, somebody in your family may be affected or somebody, um, let's say you're, you know, in your kid's school or just, you know, people out and about. It's a community issue that I think once we start seeing it as a way that we can make our community better, it's something that more people will care about. Okay, uh, what, what would you say to people, who, to, to, to critics, who, who say that, well, alternative sentencing is just a way for criminals to avoid jail, and they don't have to go to jail if they do this. What's your answer to that? I think it's a logical you know, thing to, to think and say. I mean, I think you know, a lot of times there's like this catchphrase, you do the crime, you do the time. And um, that seems to logically make sense, you know, uh, kids. It's like it, when a kid's bad, you put them in timeout. Go in timeout and think about what you did. Um, and that makes logical sense. I've had judges tell me, you know, okay, well, your client seems like a nice person and maybe this was, you know, a mistake, but they need to go and they need to sit in jail and they need to really, really think about this. And again, logically, that makes sense. But um, in fact, the governments, our government, local and state and federal governments, they've done studies. And what they've found is that when they follow people um, who are in alternative sentencing for nonviolent crime, or if they go to jail for nonviolent crime, the people that actually do the sentence that is not in jail, right? They go to classes, they go to treatment, whatever. They found that those people have a 50% chance of not offending again. So the recidivism rate um, of reoffending is reduced by 50% by somebody going to do an alternative sentence. And so if you take that back to, um, you know, the child timeout kind of scenario, right? If you have a child and then you're like, oh, little Johnny, you know, go sit in the corner and think about what you did. You have that, right? And then like little Joey, you know, this is why you did this wrong and this is what you should do later instead if you're in this situation well that's kind of an alternative sentence scenario where you're you're giving people the tools the education so that and the and the behavior modification tools so that when you know when they're faced with another situation that they can actually change their behavior because if somebody did something if somebody did a stupid crime obviously they're not thinking right right not everybody has a mental issue I, i'm not saying that but Whatever they did, they don't know how to always regulate their behavior, especially in a nonviolent situation. Um, and so with an alternative sentence, you're giving them those tools to understand what they can do instead. And who pays for all this? Do, does Joe, uh, citizen, the taxpayer, pay for it? And if, if they do, why, why should they pay for someone who is, uh, in their eyes, a criminal? Right. Yeah, and that makes sense, and that again, that's that's very logical. Um, but you know, when you think about it, it's something like forty thousand dollars to house and feed and clothe an inmate in jail, right? That's how much the tax that's how much the taxpayers are paying a year to put somebody in jail. But with an alternative sentence, the person that's actually going to engage in that alternative sentence has to pay. So in a way, I mean, there are some government funded or government subsidized programs and things like that, but generally 
um, the person that you know requests the sentence and is granted the alternative sentence, they have to pay for their classes. They have to pay for you know their living situation. They have to pay to go to and from the classes. They have to still have a job. So it's a, it's a, actually a lot more work and a lot more money that the quote unquote criminal um, has to do in order to have an alternative sentence. You made a very good point. Um, people who think that way say, well, as a taxpayer, I don't want to pay for it, even though they really aren't. But they don't realize that, <clears throat> excuse me, they're already paying for the person to go to jail or to prison. So why not use the money that they already paid into their taxes to try to rehabilitate these people so they don't go back to prison? That's a very good point. Um, let's get into specific types of alternative sentencing. Um, what are the programs? How, how do people get in them? And, and what qualifications, if any, do they have to meet to be in these programs? So the first thing, as you know, with your clients as well, is that the person has to be willing to do it. And if they're not willing to do it, um, which I get, I mean, a lot of times it's hard work. If somebody is going to go into like a year of treatment, whether it's mental health treatment or if it's substance abuse treatment, they got to deal with their stuff on the inside and that's hard work. So if they're not willing to do that, then, you know, there's no point in even trying to advocate for that in court, right? Because they, if they don't do it and we show up in court and the judge is like, what's wrong with your client? Why did they, you know, why did they mess up their program? Obviously we look bad and the client looks bad and it's bad for everyone. Um, but to answer your questions about the specific things that are available, so there's obviously um, substance abuse programs available, treatment programs available. Um, there's mental health treatment programs available. There's um, diversion for veterans. You know, our veterans right. um, are in situations where they're used to being in fight or flight all the time. And then you come back into society and it's not fight or flight. And you may behave a way um, that gets you in trouble. And so veterans court is something that is available for um, certain types of crimes to be able to let somebody go to veterans court and change their life and um, and not actually have a record. So that's one of the things too. Some of the programs allow people to not have a record. And as you know with your clients too, you know, even if they go, let's say they go to jail and they they did the crime, they do the time, they go to jail, now they have a record. Right. And then with that record, even though, you know, theoretically employers aren't supposed to use that against them, they still do. And in a way, the system kind of sometimes creates criminals because if you have a client that goes, just something dumb, I mean, they make a dumb mistake, they steal something or they do drugs, they make a couple of dumb mistakes and it's on their record. They can't, you know, they're going to have a hard time going to college. They're going to have a hard time getting a job. They still have to live. What are they going to do? Right. Yeah. They always say once you're in the system, it's really hard to get out. And I agree with you. If, if you have a record, even though it's not supposed to be used against you, you're probably not going to get a job. And um, most people, they revert back to what they know. And, that, and that's crimes. That's how they're going to survive. I agree with you. Um, now, why do you personally really care about alternative sentencing? I, I know you care about it because you talked to me about it before and you're here talking to the guest about it, but I want you to explain why it, it, it's so important to you. It didn't used to be important to me because I just wanted to be, you know, 
um, I just wanted to be a lawyer and fight you know, for my clients and whatever was going on in their life was their life and not my problem. And, um, but I saw the effect that it had on people's lives. I saw that it was an opportunity for somebody to change their lives. And specifically, um, a long time ago, there was uh, this girl, and obviously I can't say her name, but her dad called me and he was crying and he was saying, you know, my daughter got in trouble. Um, I've spent my entire life savings trying to help her, trying to get her into treatment. Um, you know, she's in jail right now and I just don't know what to do. And I think she's gonna die. I can't leave her in jail, can you help? And for some reason that really affected me. It really did because, you know, there's this a, the grown man who's a successful business person just sitting there crying on the phone to me to help him with his daughter. And, um, and it wasn't easy. I mean, she had, she had four DUIs, a heroin charge, and we got her into drug court and she did end up changing her life. And um, I talked to her just like maybe a year ago or two years ago and she said that because of that chance that she had in drug court and because of the tools that she learned and the behavior modifications and dealing with the past trauma that she had um, she's like you know my dad died but I got to spend the last three years of his life being the daughter that he wanted to be and that really touched me and so just being able to be a part of that story and many more stories like that is just, you know, it's just, it's something that you can't really put into words, the kind of like fulfillment that it brings. Um, but it just, it's a chance to help give somebody a chance to fight for their life. Right. And I think that's very important, giving somebody a chance. Um, it, it goes back to, you know, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Uh, even if you are granted one of these alternative sentencing programs, if, if the person is not really willing to do it or their heart isn't into it, they're gonna fail. Um, yeah. But the opportunity that they, they're given, uh, some people don't even realize I have that opportunity. And once you see a success story where a client changes their life, uh, it, it, really, it really hits home. Um, I remember you talked to me about a, a DV case you had in San Diego where, where there was um, diversion granted, which is a, a sort of alternative sentencing, or it is an alternative sentencing. Could you tell us a little bit about that case? Yeah, so it was a really interesting case because um, this is, you know, somebody who is high functioning, who is a, like, somebody in the public eye, and they have a domestic violence charge, and it not only obviously is, you know, you don't want to have a domestic violence charge on your record, but because of his particular position and um, what he did for work, if he was convicted of that, then he'd lose everything that he worked for, He and his family would lose everything too. So we were able, so when I met him, you know, something was off. So I was like, listen, just go and get evaluated. You can afford it, get evaluated, and maybe we can see if there's something that we can do under this new mental health statute. All of you know the judges and all of the attorneys in San Diego said that it couldn't go. Oh, it's never going to get granted. No way. Never for a domestic violence case. 
and I didn't care that they said that because I just knew in my heart that, you know, something was up with this guy and it affected his life. Um, so fast forward to months later where we actually got that after a whole day long hearing, we got the diversion granted for him. And um, his partner said that, you know, I feel like I'm in a whole new relationship with a whole new person. Our child is flourishing more than ever before. Our relationship is better. And so, yeah, that person could have gone and sat in jail for two weeks, right? And then lost their job and then lost their family and everything. But instead, because of the availability of this program and because, you know, we fought really hard, it wasn't just like easy to get. And because of the hard work he's done, he could have gone to jail for two weeks and he would have had this on this record and it would have been done. But Instead, he's had to go through like major, major intense therapy, group therapy, all kinds of stuff um, for a year, you know, and he had to put in that work. He had to pay for it himself instead of the taxpayers. So that's another example of somebody that, you know, that really is a testament to why we should care about these issues. Right. Uh, I remember you also told me about one time you were in Pasadena court and you saw a guy in his McDonald's uniform who had just gotten picked up. Um, and it, it, you, you mentioned to me that when you saw him, you thought this guy was probably coming home from work, got picked up, he probably lost his car, he's going to lose his job. And um, most people don't realize that. Even if you are innocent, if, if you get arrested and, you know, while you're waiting to see a judge or waiting to get bailed out, you could lose uh, your, your means of support and everything like that. So that's another reason that I think, and I think you do too, that alternative sentencing is so important. Um, let, let's talk about the different kinds uh, of alternative sentencing. I know we mentioned some of them before, like veterans court, uh, you know, diversion and, and stuff like that. What is like the most common alternative sentencing? It really depends on the, the type of case. So if Somebody is um, fa finds himself like with a drug charge. I've even, I mean, I'm sure you have too. It's somebody that has a sales um, drug charge because they're a hardcore addict and they have like a whole bunch of meth that, you know, they're accused of selling, but they're like such a hardcore user that they'll use it. Even those kind of cases can get into drug court and, um, they buy it like Costco. Right. <laughs> they, they buy in bulk so they can save later. Down exactly. The and like <laughs> not get in trouble, you know, whatever, avoid police contact or whatever. But um, a funny story was in, down in CCB. Um, I had a case in front of Judge Tynan, and who is an amazing, compassionate, caring judge. And he had just had it with my client because it was like, you know, he had gotten, he was able to do drug court, but he messed up twice. And I went in there and I fought for my client and Judge Tyner was like, well, you know, this, this just sounds like excuses. And he was just kind of fed up. And what I told Judge Tynan was like, Judge, I've been trying to get off of sugar for like three weeks now. <laughs> and I cannot stop thinking about donuts. I cannot, I mean, it is like the hardest Thing in the world I just want to run to the cafeteria and get the sugar packets and like put them in my mouth right now I do it is really really hard so just think about that and think about how addictive meth is like how many more times addictive meth is and and think about whether or not my guy deserves another chance and he laughed he didn't want to laugh 
Um, and he gave my guy another chance and he's, I mean, this was, I think like two years ago and he's doing great now. He graduated from drug court. He's like, I don't know what, I think he's like a, a commercial actor or something like that. And he's doing well. That's awesome. Yeah. So I'm going to put you on the hot seat. Did you get off sugar or did you relapse? I relapsed. <laughs> it's, it's like my nemesis, especially donuts. Well, we don't have any donuts here today. I know, yeah. but you have yeah. the Dunkin' Donuts coffee, yeah. which yeah. reminds me of my donuts that I love. I'm sorry to do that to you. Um, <laughs> there is another alternative sentencing that it's one of my favorites, um, and a lot of people don't know about it, Fire Camp. Yes. Um, let's tell the viewers and the listeners what Fire Camp is and, and why it's, it's an important alternative sentencing. So, so... Fire camp basically um, allows people to, well, they're, they're st it's still custodial. They're still like, you know, away. But while they're away, instead of just sitting there, what they're doing is learning how to become reserve firemen. So when there's, you know, the fires that we have here in California, um, we have a bunch of labor available and ready to go and fight those fires. Right. So that's why, I mean, it's, they're not just sitting there and doing nothing. They're learning and they're, you know, they're able to contribute. Right. And fire camp is not uh, an alternate to actually prison. They're actually sentenced to prison. And if they qualify for fire camp, they get to work off some of their sentence being a fireman. And um, I think it was, I don't know if it was last year or a couple of years ago when we had the wildfires, um, they actually used uh, inmates that were in the fire uh, fire camp. Um, they were actually fighting fires, and, and I believe one of them lost his life oh, to the fires. Yeah, um, one of them lost his life oh, wow. fighting the fires. So um, it's 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 an important one to me. Um, yes, they they've gone to prison, but now they're actually working, and and not just to to cut off their time where they're working helping out everybody else and uh, you know you, you go to prison you volunteer for fire camp and you usually you lose your life um, uh, that really shows your dedication so right. that's one of my favorite fire camps um, besides uh, that what about like electronic mon monitoring and house arrest uh, th those are uh, the most simple ones right right um, what do you think about those? Where do you, what's your opinion about that? I mean, here's the thing. A lot of times when somebody, okay, so with electronic monitoring and house arrest, basically their jail is their home, right? right? And they have to pay for this to, they have to pay to be able to do this. Not only, you know, it can't be a violent crime, obviously, um, but they have to pay. Um, it's a lot of money each month in order to be able to do that. And the reason why it's good is because people can, they don't have to lose their families. Um, their families, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of single parent homes and they can lose their family and, you know, their kids can end up in the foster care system. And again, this is a burden on the taxpayers. So if the person can come up with the money to do electronic monitoring, they can stay home, take care of their kids, they don't lose their job. So the collateral damage is reduced while still having them, um, you know, engage in, in something that makes them realize that they did do something that needed to be punished. It's, it's right. still a form of punishment. It it's is. just a different form. Um, and so I think the thing that's important is if you think about 
somebody going and sitting in jail. And I have had clients who have been like, I would rather go to prison. I'm done with this treatment crap. I don't care. You know, I don't want to sit here in six hours a group a day and all this stuff. And I get it because it's like I go to my therapist once a week and I'm like, this is too much. <laughs> I'd rather go work on my cases. I don't want to work on my own problems. But, you know, but when you're when you're actually doing something, um, even if it's sitting at home and realizing you got to pay all this money to the government to keep you locked in your house, then that's that's going to have an effect on most people. Right, right. And for those people who, who think that house arrest is a joke um, and, you know, they don't go to prison and they're sitting at their home, yes, you, could, you, you do get to stay at home, but try staying at home without going out. I, I, I challenge you to stay at home three days without stepping foot outside of the house and, and, and see what happens. I think it's... It's more of a mental prison in that sense yeah. rather than actual prison. Um, we talked about all the good stuff and all, all, all the good examples. Is there any any bad stories that you want to discuss about or anything that, that alternative sentencing can't fix or, or should have fixed but didn't address? Yeah, I mean, really, I think that one of the things, like we, we kind of touched on this earlier, was that you have to, the person has to be willing to do it. Right, because if they're not willing to sit there and go through the program, or if they're not willing to, um, like in veterans court, you know, deal with the issues that they have to deal with, then nobody can force them to do that, right? And so sometimes, sometimes it doesn't work for people, and sometimes people do need to go to prison. And unfortunately, I had um, a client last year who had very clear mental health issues. It was clear to me, but this person also was like super hooked on meth. And so to the legal system, um, they presented well enough, you know, but they also say, oh, this is just a meth induced psychosis or whatever, right? So in that case, there wasn't really a program for that person to help them um, be in in mental health counseling because they presented well. And so it's there's going to be people that fall through the cracks. This person right. just ended up in prison. Um, there's going to pe be people that fall through the cracks because a lot of times it's just you, you just can't save everybody, right? And it's, and it's sad. I mean, I still think about it. I wish she could have gotten the help that she needed, but she ended up in prison and who knows what's going to happen. Right. I, I've talked about this before in other episodes. Um, a lot of people, you know how we talk about mental illness and people are, are in jail because they're mentally ill, not all, but most or some. Um, some of them don't even realize that they have a mental illness until they actually go to prison and they're diagnosed um, because of the background that they come from, the family background or whatever it is. Um, those people actually would benefit from alternate sentencing but nobody has diagnosed them before, so that's one of the reasons. Um, that's actually a really interesting point that you make because I think for most people, they're like, well, if you have a mental illness, uh, most people think that mental illness means like, you know, if somebody is talking to themselves or like doesn't bathe or just like it has very overt and like accentuated symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. Like right. the crazy person down the street, you're like, oh, that person's crazy. But there are so many different forms of mental illness. And 
I mean, I just was interested in this because it was like something that I studied in undergrad was um, psychology and I was always interested in forensic psychology and things like that. And there are like so many people with bipolar disorder um, and they're not bad people. And, right. and it doesn't even have to be like, it's a spectrum, you know, just like autism. But then you have people, you have people on the other side that go to prison and um, a good friend of mine, she's a psychiatrist and she actually used to be a prison psychiatrist. And she's like, I cannot believe that these people have never been seen by a psychiatrist and never been diagnosed before. Right. She's like, I cannot believe that they're not in a mental hospital. I mean, it's like to that point where there are like really sick people that are just sitting there in prison and they're not getting any help. And then eventually they're gonna be released. Right. They're going to be released back into the streets where they don't have the support. They actually have more support while they're in prison. They're getting diagnosed and getting, the, the, getting their treatment and everything. Um, we actually had an episode uh, with with uh, a mental health expert about criminal law, and we d we went further deeper into that. But one of the other things you said is, um, you know, the the people who are mentally ill, they're they're not the people you see on the streets. I had a client. Um, he had an engineering degree from Georgia Tech. This was in Orange County, and he was bipolar. Um, but if he went off his medication, he would be a completely different person than if if he was on his medication. Uh, you know, engineer. He 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 worked for big companies doing difficult tasks, but um, he had a mental illness. Yeah. And and because of the mental illness, if it was not diagnosed right, you know, you you could get in trouble. And by the way, anxiety is mental illness. Depression is mental illness. So I, have, I think I have a mental illness then. I, I think that most people I mean, that's the whole point. It's like there's just huge, ridiculous, gross stigma on it. And it's like if you had diabetes, you know, you wouldn't feel bad about it. You right. would, you would do something about it. And it's the same thing um, with mental illness. It's just like it's something that I think people are so afraid to talk about and so afraid to address and, and in court, you know, it's like, oh, it's just a state scapegoat or whatever. But I mean, you and I both have had so many clients where we've seen the results of like, maybe this person's not just like some jerk that wants to commit crimes. Maybe they just don't have an understanding of how to self-soothe, to deal with their own issues, right. to calm themselves to you know, not blow up when faced with certain challenges, and maybe it's really that simple. Right. Yeah. It, it, I think it's it's uh, you know self self realization and, and being taught that. Um, I had a client once, uh, uh, and I went to visit him in the towers. Um, he came out, very nice guy, smiling. He told me a joke, very happy. You know, I, I wanted to prepare him for his parole revocation hearing the next day. The next day he comes out and the, you know, the deputies bring him out and completely different person and he was just very upset and he had paper, um, paper towels and he had bunched them up and put them in his ears. Oh. And, I, and I told him, what's going on? Why do you have those in your ears? And he goes, I don't want to hear the voices. I don't want to hear the voices. So that day he was hearing voices. You know, he was schizophrenic, so he was hearing the voices. The first time I saw him, the voices weren't there. Mm -hmm. He was normal. But when the voices would come back, he, you know, that was his own way of, of tuning him out. And um, people don't realize that. Don't, they don't realize that you, from one day to the next, you could be a completely different person. 
Um, let's go back to alternative sentencing. Now, uh, a, a lot of people don't realize this or don't think so. So I'm arrested, I want to go to alternative sentencing, but it's not that simple just because I want to do it. How do we get the clients into alternative sentencing? So, I mean, you know, there are technical kind of like legal statutes and, and technicalities that make people eligible or ineligible. Um, but I think that if you're a creative lawyer and if you're relentless, there's things that you can do to, to show a prosecutor or a judge that your client should have some kind of alternative sentence. So, um, I've had situations where the person was technically not eligible for an alternative sentence and um, unfortunately it requires money usually, you know, to get to get psychologists and therapists and, and different professionals to help kind of like look at the underlying issues and create the reports and actually spend the time with the client. That takes money. Right. Um, but a lot of times, even if they don't meet the technical criteria, there's still ways to get them into an alternative sentence, but generally, you know, it's something that is not just available. You have to you have to earn it by the willingness. You have to earn it by um, having the eligibility of you know a nonviolent crime, certain different types of crimes that are ineligible. Um, but back to the topic of what we're talking about today, um, with the alternative sentence you either have to have an eligible crime or you have to have a really, or both, have a really creative attorney to get you, to get you in. Even if you have both, uh, you could still be uh, overridden by the judge. Right. Yeah, so if the judge doesn't allow it, then, you know, um, or it could be the other way around, the DA doesn't allow it, but, you know, if you can get the judge on your side, he can overrule them. Um, is there a, a way to... Well, let me ask it. Let me ask it this way. So, you have a client who's eligible, um, not eligible for a certain program, but eligible for alternative sentencing because of the way that the the crime was committed or the accusations or everything. But there's no program that exists that fits him. Um, is there a way to to get him into a treatment or, or to get him the treatment that he needs? Yeah. So usually in those types of cases, so it's it's usually that's like mental health or substance abuse, right? And what um, what we do is we have the client diagnosed right away and into um, some kind of appropriate program right away. And pending the case, what we do is like we're really involved with their progress and we're really involved with making sure um, that everything is, is kind of like recorded and all the progress is recorded too. And so what we do with that, we take that to the judge and to the DA and we just fight like hell. I mean, I had a client um, with uh, my colleague Jeff, Jeff Merrick in Indio and this poor kid was um, abused by his karate teacher for since he was eight years old right this man would take him around the country and rape him while they were doing their um, karate tournaments so by the time this kid was 18 years old he was like hardcore heroin addict hardcore and he had crimes like he had like theft crimes and like vandalism crimes um you know broke into places things like that and by the time we got him um he had like six or seven cases racked up 
and he also had warrants. And so we got him into treatment and at first the DA like just didn't want. They're like there's like, there's there's nothing eligible, sorry, we don't care. There's too many different crimes, there's felonies, misdemeanors mixed in together, crimes like over, you know, 2 years. No. Um but we were able to get him a year of treatment and and by the end of it the DA's office was actually on board and cared about this kid, even though there was no program available that you know fit him in particular because of the variety of crimes and the different dates um, that would normally make him ineligible. Because we were able to show the story of who this person is, and not just that, not just that he is a victim of something really terrible that happened to him, and not just that he's a criminal. It's just like, this is his story and it's an opportunity for the justice system to actually help somebody and help, you know, do justice, right. help this person rehabilitate themselves, not on our dime, on his parents' dime. And I mean, it's just like, he's a different person now. It's amazing. Yeah. Two things come to mind with that story. The first one is, Usually the district attorneys, they, they don't know the story behind the, the defendant or the file. I, I find that they don't even look at the file until the day of, or, or they don't even know it's just another file, just another number, here's the, here's the offer, go away. Um, it's important to make them understand that who this person is and, and the story that led them to, to have this file yeah. in front of them. That's one of the things. The other one is, Alternative sentencing, you know, the taxpayers don't pay for it. The defendant has to pay for the treatment or whatever it is that they have to pay for. What if they can't afford it? What if this person has a story that brought them this case? Uh, they qualify. They need it. Everybody wants them to go into it, but they can't afford it. What do we do then? So, actually, there's some government-funded um, programs. I don't think they're as good just because, I mean, unfortunately, it, you don't, you can't always throw money at something, but sometimes you just get better care when there's more money. But there are government funded programs, you know, and then, um, and some, some different programs actually have scholarships. So like with substance abuse and mental health or dual diagnosis, um, I know of a lot of places that will grant scholarships just because they want to help people. They're in it to help people. Right, that's actually great. Um, now, we we had a sort of s s serious conversation. We were talking about alternative sentencing and everything. Um, however, uh, it, everything doesn't have to be so serious, um, even though this is a serious topic. Uh, so, is there anything else you want to talk about, not necessarily about alternative sentencing, or anything else you want the, the viewers or the listeners to know about um, the criminal defense world or or about you or anything else? Um, well, I mean, I guess, you know... Star Wars? You want to Star, talk about Star Wars. Wars? <laughs> well, well, I mean, we're both obviously big fans of Star Wars, but, it, um, but yeah, you know, really, I mean, I think that it's, it's interesting because it's the Star Wars kind of like saga and, you know, empire really is is based on Joseph Campbell's work of the hero's journey, right? Okay. And so 
the hero's journey is, I think, what, um, what we all go through. And the thing that I love about our profession is that we get to be kind of like the Obi-Wan Kenobi to some of our clients, right? Right. We get to be, um, and then, you know, some of them end up being like Boba Fett and do their thing. <laughs> I want to be Darth Vader. I want to be Anakin. I want to go full circle. <laughs> Start good, become evil, and then go back to being good. Being good again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, that reminds me, I, I've been talking about how um, you inspired me to, to actually start the podcast and everything. Um, but you just said something that, that made me realize it, it wasn't really you. It, it was Yoda with his do or do not. You just, um, I guess he used you as a messenger to tell me that. So I shouldn't, I shouldn't give you all the credit. It's, I, you know, and I just, I actually wanted to talk to you about that because it's, I, I didn't do anything. What I, what I told you was I kind of made, I, I kind of gave you a challenge, right? I didn't say, oh, right. why should you do it? Because I'm sure you've talked about other, with other people that were like, oh, just do it, you know, whatever. Um, but I gave you a challenge that the challenge was you're going to do this in the next two weeks or you're never allowed to do it again. Right. 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 And I think that as an attorney, you realize it's kind of like I have two weeks to file a motion or else I'm not going to be, able, you know, I lose that ability to do that. That. Yeah. And that. And also you can't tell me I can't do that. Right. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. was the other thing. Yeah. Um, but it, it was a pleasure having you on. I've been trying to have you on for a while. Um, I'm glad that we have you on in this setting in a very special video uh, edition as well. The 30th uh, edition. The 30th yeah. edition. And um, who, who knew? We were talking, this was about, I think it was last year, in about a year, going from being too, I don't want to say lazy or, you know, too... Relaxed. Laissez-faire yeah. <laughs> uh, about starting the podcast. So here we are in the 30th episode, and uh, you are the special guest in the 30th episode. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, hopefully, I'll have you on for the 300th episode as yes. well. Yes. <laughs> we'll talk only about Star Wars. Yes, only about Star Wars. Uh, for the listeners and the viewers, um, I'm going to make sure we have uh, links to uh, Nina's website. Uh, if you guys need her assistance in any legal matters. Um, and also you can, you can find her work on cars if you're interested. We'll have some links to those as well. Uh, actually pretty good reads. Uh, thank you, Nina. Thank you.